I'm uh, excited to share this word with you all today. And um, part, of the, part of the motivation for this message actually came from a video that I want to start with today. I don't know if you saw uh, the video just a few weeks ago. Um, it was actually a video from the Today Show. Uh, and it has since gone viral is what I understand. But there was this mom who essentially gave the rules of engagement for her child returning to school, right? And, and let me tell you something. In my house, it's a brand new season. We're going to be talking about that season some today. Um, but uh, I have a whole new awareness of what it means to return to school and the, the unique joys and the challenges that come with that. And so I thought it would be great today if we just started out uh, gleaning from the wisdom of this mom as she imparts it into the life of her son. So let's check out this video. So I just got the notice that my son's school starts up in a few weeks, and now it's time for me to pull out the PowerPoint presentation on how the rules for back to school are gonna go. It is also entitled, What We Not Gonna Do, because this ain't that. What we're not going to do is change up our stomach energy. You've been living on a diet of hot chips, chicken nuggets, and every popsicle and disgusting drink known to man without one stomach ache. You're not about to come to me talking about my stomach hurt like you got the intestinal tract of a geriatric Crohn's patient. This ain't that. What we're not going to do is act like we can't wake up. You've been getting up at 6.77 every morning. And yes, I said 6.77 because of some ungodly hour that doesn't exist. Asking me about some breakfast. This ain't that. What we not gonna do is act like you ran out of supplies after the second day of school. I literally just spent $75,000 making sure everything on that list was there. You not about to keep losing everything. This ain't that. What we not gonna do is tell me about reports, permission slips, and picture day packets the day before they're due. I'm not about to get my blood pressure up running around here to get all of these supplies or find an outfit or do a project into the wee hours of the morning. This ain't that. Wisdom builds the house. Someone look at your neighbor and say, this ain't that. Amen. Believe it or not, the title of my message today is, this ain't that. And what I want to do today is I actually want to talk about disappointment. I want to talk about disappointment because the enemy, the devil, would love nothing more than for you to believe that your current circumstance is your final reality in this life. But as followers of Jesus Christ, this ain't that. That as a follower of Jesus, I don't have to respond to or handle disappointment when it comes knocking on my heart the same way the world has to respond to it. Because Christ is in my story. Because he has already worked the greatest miracle in the entirety of the universe. And so disappointment cannot have control of my life. I wonder for you today, are you maybe right now, maybe online, you're joining us. Maybe, maybe you're walking through a season of disappointment right now. Like you're here today, you're in church, and you have the Sunday smile. You've got, you've got the, the Bible with more highlights than anyone else on your row. Like you've got everyone around you fooled, but on the inside, disappointment reigns. That, that might be you this morning. It could be that disappointment came into your life through some, something you were really believing for. You know, this week I was actually talking with someone, and they were approved 
for the loan for the purchase of their home. And they, it, they were telling me about how it felt in that moment to realize that they were approved. Well, maybe they were approved, but you weren't approved for your loan. And you feel constrained and you feel hemmed in by life. You feel like previous financial realities are preventing you from moving forward and you're beginning to feel disappointed. Maybe, maybe for you, your disappointment stems from the fact that you did everything the Bible told you to do. You trained up your child in the way that they should go and here they are, they're older and they departed from it. And you're here, and you're in church, and you're worshiping, and yes, you have faith in God, but in the back of your mind, like a splinter that just can't quite work its way out of your hand, is this thought, God, what's up with my child's journey? And why am I still walking around this city? Why am I marching around these walls, crying out for their salvation, crying out for the softening of their heart? And every time I think this time is different, this time is rock bottom, and here they are further from God than ever before. And if you're honest, it's getting easy to just accept this is the way it's gonna be. Maybe it was that leader, that pastor, who you found out wasn't living the life they encouraged you to live all those years. You heard them preach with faith Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, and then they hit the storm that they counseled you through, and they didn't handle the storm the way they told you to handle the storm, and it hurts. I never had that happen with a pastor, but I had that happen with my father at a very young age. And let me tell you something, that was a disappointing moment. Could have shipwrecked my whole life. Could have, could have ruined my understanding of what it means to be a man. Maybe it was a business deal. And that person that you trusted betrayed you. And your, your career has been reeling ever since then. If you're battling with disappointment today, I want to share with you some words that the Apostle Paul actually wrote while in prison. In Philippians 1.6, he says, for I am confident. Someone say confident. Come on, say it with some confidence this morning. Someone say confident. confident. And if you're with us online, type that in the chat right there. Just write that word confident out there. But I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. I love that Paul is in prison. He is in chains. He is literally shackled and his confidence is still that Christ is at work in his story. And he not only had confidence that it was true for him, but he had confidence that it was true for every person in that church he was writing to. And that confidence echoes into our lives today. That is everything perfect? No. But is God at work in your story still? Absolutely. And so you can know today that even in the midst of your disappointment, you are not forgotten. You are not alone. You did not take a wrong turn, but God is still seated on the throne and he is still at work in your story today. Allow me to address the elephant in the room. The last time I was with you all preaching on a Sunday, I was was, uh, doing a series on eternity while my wife was in the fight of her life. And three months ago, she stepped into eternity. Maybe you're sitting here saying, Joe, why could you possibly talk to me about 
disappointment. It's because on my 16th anniversary, I was putting my wife in the ground. I know what it's like to have an opportunity to let disappointment have the final say in your heart. And the things that I believe I have found in the word of God today, they're not theories. It's not something I found on a TED talk that I thought, just sprinkle a little Jesus in that and that'll preach. It's not something I read in an Amazon bestseller. No, what I want to share with you today, these are realities that, that are battle-tested. What I want to share with you guys are these are things that the Holy Spirit impressed in my heart as I have been walking through the literal valley of the shadow of death. I love how Paul says, I am confident. My question for you today is where is your confidence? Where have you placed your confidence? I think one thing that I have discovered is um, on the journey by God's grace, one of the ways I believe he protected me is that I never put my confidence in Lauren's healing. My confidence was always only in Jesus Christ. So that if she was healed, amen. But in the moment where I realized the healing didn't happen, amen. Because death is defeated. Because there is an empty grave in Jerusalem. And I don't follow Jesus for outcomes in this life. I follow Jesus because of who he is, because of what he's done. And my following of Jesus was not hinging on whether he answered my prayers or not. My confidence is in Christ alone and what he has already done. And if by his grace and by his mercy, he does anything else for me in this life, it is a gain, it is a gift, it is a sense of heaven smiling on me, but it will not be the determinant of what has my praise or where my confidence goes. And I believe oftentimes disappointment comes into our lives when something we love dies. That, that's where disappointment most frequently comes knocking at the door of our hearts. But I love what Spurgeon wrote in his commentary series called The Treasury of the Psalms. And in his writing about Psalm 2, he actually says this. He says, God's anointed is appointed and shall not be disappointed. That is so good. It has such a, a, a role to it that if you didn't tell me it was Spurgeon, I would have told you Pastor Robert Cameron said that right there because I just feel like that's got Robert all over it right there. But God's anointed is appointed. There are some people here today, you are a follower of Jesus Christ and disappointment is knocking at the door of your heart and I believe I'm on assignment from heaven today to remind you that you have been appointed by the creator of heaven and earth. There are some people here today that you need to be reminded that you are anointed with the Holy Spirit as a follower of Jesus Christ. That you have been sealed with the Holy Spirit as a down payment, as an inheritance, as a sign of what is yours in Christ. And disappointment 
has tried to give you a counterfeit anointing, an anointing that is marred by sin, an anointing that is marred by sickness, an anointing that is marred by disappointment. And the reality is today is that you have been anointed and appointed and with Christ in your story, the ultimate end of the matter, you will not be disappointed. I will not be disappointed. There's, there's flowers on the front row today. If you've seen me walking into church once a month, me and my kids, we decided that for, through, this, through the end of this year, that one Sunday a month, we're going to come to church with flowers. It's a way of reminding them, mom's in church with them. And then right after the service, we're going to her graveside and we're dropping off some flowers for Lauren. Can I tell you something? As I stand here today and I preach and I look and I see those flowers on the front row, I am not disappointed. I am hopeful that the best is yet to come. But what, is this, what does this word disappointment even mean? It, I, I love words, and I looked into the word disappointment. And in the English language, it comes from an old French word, which actually means to deprive of a position. And so as Christians, we need to understand how severe it is for us to choose to yield our lives to disappointment today. That when disappointment reigns in the Christian heart, it is actually the surrender of your position in Christ. It is taking Christ from being the center of my story and who he is and what he has done and what he will do in my future. It is unseating him from that place of worship and glory and instead taking that setback and giving it my attention. And ultimately, what is worship? Worship is what I give my heart's attention to. So disappointment actually unseats Christ from his rightful place in my heart. I want to read out of Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 6 this morning. This is where we're going to be camping out of with everything today. Can't get away from the book of Romans in this church, but that's, that's probably a good thing. And I'm just going to read a few verses here, and then we're going to break them down with the time we have left, starting from verse 1. He says, therefore, having been justified by faith, someone say, by faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith. Someone say, by faith, into this grace in which we stand. And we exult in the hope of the glory of God. And not only this, but we also exult in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance. Perseverance, proving character, improving character, hope, and hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. For while we were still helpless at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. See, something that I learned Months before Lauren passed, something that I learned in my own life is that getting through disappointment has less to do with what I'm doing and more of an awakening of my heart to what God is actually up to in my story. Whenever I've heard preachers in the past preach on disappointment, I've heard 12 steps to picking yourself up by the bootstraps and being a better disciple of Jesus. Like suck it up, buttercup, Holy Spirit, amen, go. All right. 
And the reality is, as I look at this passage, something that I love is it has those words, hope does not disappoint. And yet it talks a whole lot more about what God is doing than what the Christian is doing. And so with the time that we have left today, I want to actually stare into this passage and see not what do you need to do in the middle of your own disappointment, but how is God at work in your disappointment? Have you ever asked a question before, where is God? You ever asked that? I have. And when I look in this passage, I actually see what God the Father is up to. I see how the Christ the Son is at work. And I also see a promise of what the Holy Spirit is capable of doing in my life. I love this passage because we see the entirety of the Trinity at work. And let me tell you something. The reason I'm where I'm at three months into this journey, it's not because I figured something else out about how to fight disappointment. It's not because of that. If, if this season in my family and now raising three kids on my own, if that was left, if it's up to me, I am sunk. I am done. I burn grilled cheese. How am I going to get a kid through high school? Help me, Jesus. No, for real, I burn grilled cheese. Some of you guys are like, did he just? Yeah, I did. Yes. I need help. And one way that I have found worship exploding in my heart in this season is that I have realized that this Christian life has a lot less to do with who I am and what I'm doing in my own strength and a whole lot more to do with who God is and what he's doing and how he's at work in my story. See, there's this old theological term. It's called the perichoresis. And it's this term that theologians use to describe the Trinity at work. And this is a really rough way of explaining it. It's not entirely accurate, but I do believe it's a constructive word picture where the idea in perichoresis is this thought of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit work together in synchronicity in a way that is really best put as a dance. And I don't know if you've ever danced with someone before. It's one thing to dance with someone you're really not interested in, but have you ever danced with someone that you love? It's totally different. I mean, your, your eyes are just fixed on them in that moment. And you're looking at them and you're, you're anticipating their next step. You're taking in their rhythm. And can I tell you something about this Christian life? It's not about just running in whatever direction seems good to you and hoping that the Holy Spirit can keep up. This Christian life is about entering into the dance of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And knowing that as intently as you're looking at him and saying, what are you up to in my story now, God? More intently than you could ever look at him, the Father is looking at you. And it's this, this dance that we are invited into today. And as we look at what the Trinity is up to in the midst of our disappointment, I want every single person battling disappointment today to hear this. You are invited into the dance in the midst of your disappointment. You do not have to ask your disappointment for permission for life to get good again. God is good. I have the fullness of Christ at work in me. My life can be good with or without my disappointment's permission. You are invited right there in the middle of your setback, in the middle of your betrayal, in the middle of your disappointment, in the middle of your lack. You are invited into the dance with God today. 
So how is God at work in this story? Number one, how do, how, do we, how do we disrupt? How is disappointment disrupted in our lives? It's not about what you do. It's not about what I do. I believe it's first and foremost about how God is at work in our story. And the first point is this. Disappointment is disrupted by the peace of God. Disappointment is disrupted by the peace of God. If you go back to Romans 5, 1 and 2, he says, therefore, we have been justified by faith and we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have also obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand and we exult in the hope of the glory of God. Something that I have needed reminding of as I have walked through my family season. The first thing is this. I'm not promised peace in this life. I'm promised peace with my God. Peace in this life comes. Peace in this life goes. But you know one thing that remains in this Christian journey is peace with your creator. That you could have the worst day of your life, but it does not reflect a change in the heart of God towards you, your children, your spouse, yourself, or anything that you hold dear in this life. You see, as followers of Jesus, we have to remind ourselves, I am promised a specific peace. And the way that I am promised peace as a follower of Jesus, it's not how the world defines peace. Is this making sense this morning? I'm like bubbling up with this, so if you feel like I'm spewing out all over the place, it's because I am. Okay, so just there you go. I'm thankful for this. This is good news. You see, the world defines peace situationally. Like if I don't have any arguments, I have peace. If I log on to my banking app and I have a really robust, healthy number with seven or more digits, I'm at peace. Some of you are like, I just need two digits, y'all. <laughs> How much to ride the tide? That's what I need in my bank account. Amen. Maybe for you, peace is defined when cancer's in remission. Sometimes it comes back. What happens to your peace then? What, what do you do? in that moment. You see, this form of peace is at mercy of your circumstance. And the God that I serve is not at mercy to anything or anyone. So that can't be the peace he's promising me. I love Isaiah 26.3, it says, he will keep in perfect peace he whose mind is fixed on him. Your peace is not a result of your circumstance, your peace is a result of your mind being fixed on God. And that idea of perfect peace, I love it in the Hebrew. It's, it's a very unique construct in the language. It doesn't say perfect peace. It actually just says shalom, shalom. Anytime you have something and you want it to exist in its purest form in the biblical Hebrew, the way that they would actually, they would actually communicate that is you take that word and you say it two times in a row. So for the author to actually say there, shalom, shalom, he's actually saying there is a perfect, there is a, a peace that is lacking nothing. There is a peace that is the truest form of peace you could possibly ever have. And it doesn't come from looking at the world around you. It actually comes from beholding who God is and what he's like. You see, the world defines peace situationally, but the kingdom defines peace relationally. 
See, for me as a follower of Jesus, I don't have to look at what's going on around me to find peace. I just have to simply be reminded that I have the acceptance of God the Father. And even though this world is constantly changing and I don't even know what, what life will hold 45 minutes from now, I do know the one who holds it and I know that he loves me. So when Lauren was sick, God loved me. When Lauren was on hospice care, God loved me. When she breathed her last breath and I walked into that room, in that moment, God loved me. He wasn't mad. He wasn't distracted. He didn't forget about me. And here I am now, three months later. And you know what? God loves me. There is peace that can disrupt your disappointment. See, defining peace by external circumstances would be laughable to the people that Paul wrote this letter to, right? He's writing to Christians in Rome. Most theologians believe Romans was written somewhere around 55 to 57. Well, in 49, Emperor Claudius forcibly started to to uh, deport Christians, would show up at their houses and purposefully separate children and send them to far off places for no other intent other than to try to squelch the growth of Christianity. In, in 50, uh, Christianity was ruled by Roman law, an illicit sect. So it was seen as a group that was, had, had very strong cult-like tendencies in the Roman mind. And so they said like, hey, we don't really like this group, but we can't ban it, so just stay away from it. And then you fast forward a few more years, you get to 64, and Nero was providing entertainment at his palace parties by sticking Christians on stakes and letting the snap, crackle, and pop of their bodies being lit on fire entertain guests. You're writing to people who are living with that reality and you're talking to them about peace, if they were to sit with you and I today and hear how we understand peace and it being a sign of the favor and acceptance of God, they would laugh at you and say, what are you talking about? What, what are you talking, don't you remember Jesus said in this life you will have many troubles, but take heart, I have overcome the world. That yeah. They would look at us and say, why are you looking what's going on out there to find your peace? That the idea wouldn't even compute for them. And so for me, what's been important is to stop looking at what's going on around me to affirm whether or not I'm at peace with God. And it has disrupted the hold of disappointment on my life. I have peace with God, and nothing can remove that. The second thing, disappointment is disrupted by the enablement of the Holy Spirit. And the band can go ahead and come on back up this morning. Disappointment is disrupted by the enablement of the Holy Spirit. If you ever want to see how important the Holy Spirit is to the Christian life, do a study of all the different ways the Holy Spirit was at work in Jesus during his ministry. Just a little cursory overview of it. In Matthew 4, Scripture tells us Jesus was led by the Spirit. In Luke 4, Scripture tells us Jesus was filled with the Spirit. In Acts 10, Scripture tells us Jesus was anointed by the Holy Spirit. And in 1 Peter 3, we read Jesus was resurrected 
by the Holy Spirit. Jesus was filled. Jesus was led. Jesus was anointed. Jesus was resurrected by the Holy Spirit. Who are we to think that we can live this life in our own strength? Who am I to think that for one second, my wisdom, my intellect, my cunning, my knowledge, my strength, my will is enough to help me get through what my family's facing right now? I am not enough. I'm not saving Jesus. Jesus is saving me. He's not sitting there wondering, will he come and worship me at church today? He's not looking on a Wednesday like, oh, I hope Joe brings his faith today because if he doesn't, I'm not going to be able to reach his part of Chesapeake. No, whatever I get to do in the kingdom is a gift to me. It is not God who needs me. The kingdom is advancing with or without me. It is a gift. It is a pleasure. It is an honor. It is, it is his mercy that lets me be a part of the story he is building. I need the Holy Spirit at work in me. I love what it says here in Romans 3 or 5 verses 3 through five. We exult in our tribulations, knowing tribulations bring perseverance and perseverance proving character and proving character brings hope and hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit. Your ability to persevere your ability to hold on, your ability to have hope, your ability to keep going, your ability to stand when other people fall. It is a work of the Holy Spirit. What is it Zechariah said? It is not by might, it is not by power, but it is by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. And man, my prayer is if there's any Christians here today and you are following Jesus and you got a plan and you started to work the plan and after a while you fell for the lie that all you needed was the plan, it is my prayer that today this message would awaken in you a hunger and a desperation for the Holy Spirit to be at work in your story again. Holy Spirit, I need you. It's my prayer every morning when I wake up, God, I don't know how to do this. I don't know any other pastors that have walked this journey. I can't call them up and ask them, how did you do your first Mother's Day when mom was gone for your five-year-old daughter? How did you do that? I don't have any pastor I can call to ask that question to. And so I'm just waking up every day and my prayer is simple. Holy Spirit, fill me anew. That where I am lacking, you are abundant. So give me eyes to see what you see. Man, give me the strength that I need for my children, but give me the compassion that I need in equal measure. Give me the courage that I need and also the humility that I need to be who they need me to be in this season. A fully surrendered heart is essential to walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. You know, a crazy thing that happened with Lauren we didn't tell the church for a while just to protect her privacy, but she, she lost her speech long before people knew about it. Couldn't, couldn't say anything. I mean, it was like a light switch went out, if I'm being honest. Like one, literally, I remember one day hearing her say, I love you. And, and texting me things because she had full use of her hands. And if I look through my texting timeline, it literally just stops. 
She just lost the ability to do it. She lost the ability to text, lost the ability to talk, lost the ability to form a thought up here and get it out of her one working thumb here. She couldn't do it because of the tumor. You know what's crazy? I realized at one point with everything that was going on and everything that was taken from her till her last day, Lauren never lost the ability to pray in the spirit. I would wake up at night and I would just hear her praying in tongues when she couldn't sleep because of whatever was going on in her heart, her mind, or her body. I would just hear her praying in the spirit. And I was thinking about it one day and I felt the Holy Spirit say to me, Joe, that's me protecting the truest part of who she is. That sickness can have her body, but her soul belongs to me. You need the Holy Spirit at work in your story. I need the Holy Spirit at work in my story. And disappointment is disrupted, not when you show up in your strength, but when the Holy Spirit shows up in his strength. And the last point, and I'm out of time, so I'm just gonna say it quickly here, is disappointment is disrupted by Jesus's perfect timing. What does it say in verse six? For while we were still helpless, I love that. It's not up to you. It's not up to me. It's not up to your strength. It's not up to my strength. Not up to your wisdom. Not up to your bank account. It's not up to your plan. It's not up to, to your skill and your conniving and your thriving. When we were helpless at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. He died for you. He died for me. He died for all of humanity the right time, in the perfect time. You know what I have found? Is I usually stumble on the perfect time when I stop trusting myself and I start completely and wholly trusting Jesus. Sometimes the perfect time comes quicker than you would expect it. There are some things in my story that I look at now, I'm three months into this new season, and there are things that are going on in my life where I look at how other people are grieving, and I just realize, God, I, grief is different for every single person, but God, thank you for surprising me with your perfect time to heal some of these different areas of my heart and mind. Thank you that that thing that two days in was, was barely possible for me to even achieve or accomplish, that now here I am three months later and I'm able to do it with joy in my heart, a smile on my face and with emotions to invest in my children. God, thank you. You have surprised me with how quickly that's come into my life. There are other things that it takes longer than you expect it to. And whether it's sooner than you thought or later than you thought, trust God's timing. Trust his timing. And one thing I've learned about perfect timing as we close today, perfect timing will always demand your wisdom and intentionality, but it will run from your striving. Perfect timing will always demand your wisdom and intentionality that I need to honor and steward well what God is bringing into my life through his sovereign doing. But if I strive for it, it'll run a mile from me. Perfect timing requires wisdom and intentionality, 
but it will run from your striving. We do not strive our way through this Christian life. Christian's posture is not with hands gripping tight. It's a posture of receiving. That everything I have is a gift from God. And you know what? The Lord gives and he takes. But blessed be the name of the Lord.